And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and hot diggity dog. It's kicking off. I'm here with Alex Stewart. Uh, yes, you are. Good morning. And um, we're also here with Seb Stafford Bloor, aren't we, Alex? Uh, I believe Seb is here, although how present he is in real terms <laughs> remains to be seen. Seb's half in the TIFO podcast land and half in Nirvana. Because, of course, the second most important story of today is that apparently Jose Mourinho's lost his job, which we found out during the recording of this podcast. So apologies if uh, what was already a bit ad hoc is even more off the cuff. Uh, we are also delighted to be joined today by Mr. James Montague, who uh, kindly agreed to, at short notice, as he, <laughs> as he attests to, to uh, come and talk us through for half an hour the, uh, the situation with the Super League, the Super League, the story that, of course, broke last night. Uh, James is very well placed to discuss that currently and historically, so thanks to him. Uh, and also afterwards, we go on and talk about Mourinho, assuming that that is real and that the tweets that I've seen about it are actually factual. And if they're not, this will all be cut out and you won't be hearing it. Okay, another thing to say is that, you know who's an ever-present throughout these times of, uh, of, of darkness, Seb? Tell me, Joe. It's all the journalists at The Athletic, because when I was going to sleep last night and struggling to sleep, thinking, oh, I'm missing out and everything's fucked. When I woke up, yeah, I there was a, a perfect explainer of everything that had happened uh, in the Super League uh, conversations written by uh, such people as Adam Crafton, contributed to by others such as Matt Slater. And uh, in, uh, in, you know, what took me about 10 minutes to read, I'm up to date. I know everything there is to know about uh, the Super League. And also, I know some stuff that you wouldn't find out anywhere else. A few other stories that were broken along the way, too. Uh, and you could also treat yourself to such certainty and satisfaction by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO and availing yourselves of a deal worth about £4 a month, I believe, at the moment. Maybe even 3 99 if you believe the psychology. It's only 1p less, but it sounds better, doesn't it? Uh, do visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO because the product is one of the greatest products of all time, TM. Uh, right, okay, without further ado, let us move on now to talk about the European Super League, or just the Super League, as it turns out. No warm hands and cool embrace today, obviously, because everything is completely ruined. Okay, before we uh, introduce James, I just quickly want to get a quick vibe check from you guys. Uh, who wants to go first? Who's keen, who's keen to go first with, <laughs> with everything that's happened? Well, um, uh, I mean, I, money, mo, Alex. Uh, yeah, I, I watched loads of niche football over the weekend to talk about 
Kind of course, he's made it about himself, hasn't he? Sam? Of course, player. he has. I, Everything um, in the football world is changing, falling down around his head. But this and is he my done? point. He's made it about himself. This, it's um, I don't, I don't know where where any pleasure's going to come from this anymore. Um, I'm just sad. <laughs> okay, okay. Alex is sad. Seb, uh, you're presumably a, a really confused mixture of feelings right now. I am conflicted. I feel like I started the day in a very deep hole, kind of a, a black world of, you know, uh, confusion and irritation and anger. And then I've returned to zero with uh, with uh, with <laughs> the most recent breaking news. In short, I, I, I don't think the Super League is just is, is so super, obviously. Right, well, we'll come back to talk about uh, uh, Mourinho very briefly afterwards. Apologies, everything's so rushed uh, today. The news, of course, was breaking overnight. Uh, by the way, we are recording this uh, first thing Monday morning, and you won't be hearing it until the earliest Tuesday morning. So it's very likely that some of the details will have evolved over this period of time. Maybe Mourinho will be in charge of FIFA by then. We just don't know. We just don't know what could have happened. Maybe he'll be. Uh, he might be the the you know the new king of Russia or something. I don't know. Basically, what I'm saying, anything could happen. Um, so do you know? Give us a bit of breathing space on that, and also you'll probably see, uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, maybe a little bit afterwards, a short video released on our main channel about the Super League. We will return to this issue, but uh, obviously these things take uh, take time. Uh, so you know, bear with us, and uh, hopefully today is enough of a take for you. Okay, so without further ado, uh, let me introduce now a great guy. This great guy's name is James Montague. He's one of the greatest guys of all time. And he's also the author of The Billionaires Club, The Unstoppable Rise of Football's Super Rich Owners. I can't imagine how that could be relevant to your reading this April. It's on Amazon. Also a rich place, but you could get it for £7, and you should, because it, it profiles all the people we're about to talk about. Okay, here's James Montague. Uh, James, what is your immediate reaction to the news? It's surprising, but it's not surprising, I suppose. I mean, I wrote a book, The Billionaires Club, a couple of years ago, which kind of looked at all these terrible billionaires that are buying football clubs and what they were like, how they made their money and what kind of indication that would give us about what they would do with football once they took control of it. And this was ex this was on the cards. This is exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring a kind of an American style cartel kind of ownership system uh, to a closed league, and you know, to hell with everybody else. It was very clear that's what, what direction that football was headed in. I was a little bit surprised about now. I mean, it makes perfect sense strategically. You know, there's no fans in the stadium. No one can protest against what's happening. Um, and ultimately, they just said, well, to hell with you. We're just going to do this. We're going to ride it out. And, you know, last night, I remember when, I, when it broke, and I think it was Martin Ziegler at the Times kind of broke the story. And, you know, Twitter was going absolutely mental. And I just thought, look, it was kind of an escalation of, of kind of reaction. So you had, like, first government ministers, you know, um, every single kind of governing body. Then suddenly you have the prime minister. Um, and you're just thinking, well, there's going to be a 930 UK time uh, announcement by this Super League group. And I just thought that they're not going to, they, they can't, they, they're just going to shit themselves. They're going to back off from this. There's no way. The publicity is so bad. Maybe they were ready, they're, they're, they're Teflon in many respects, but they're not that Teflon. 
you know, woke up this morning and fair enough, two o'clock in the morning, they snuck out a statement and it's all, it's all happening. It's all real. It wasn't a dream. Yeah. So yeah, it's surprising, but also it's just wearily predictable. Yeah, I thought they'd shit it too because I was watching in real time. I know you're both in Istanbul, so you're a few hours ahead, already asleep. I was waiting at 9.30 to see if the statement would come out and, and nothing came. And then at 11, it all it, almost as if they didn't want anyone in the UK to uh, <laughs> to really have time to react to it. it. It all did come out. I assumed they were going to shit it and they didn't. And now this morning we can see other things. Well, last night we heard... Andrea Agnelli uh, was leaving his position at the ECA. Obviously, Juve have dropped out too. All the other clubs have this morning. We can hear Ed Woodward leaving certain positions and Manchester United dropping out. Uh, When these things start to happen, James, it makes me think, okay, well, these people wouldn't put themselves in a disadvantaged position, right? So they are committed. This is happening. This is, and they've made this decision. I I feel that this is, there's there's a bigger story here, of course. They would not be taking this kind of, nuclear option because let's remember that the super league has been taught european super league has been talked about since i think hopcraft wrote about it you know i think uh, simon cooper tweeted last night there's a there's a there's a passage in his book about about a european super league i mean decades ago and yeah. ever since kind of the dawn of the champions league i mean the champions league was almost set up as a european super league anyway but ever since the dawn of the premier league the big clubs have been using this threat of a of a European Super League to get more and more power, and UEFA has has bent more and bent more and bent more, and given more uh, power and resources to those top clubs. But it's been a very good negotiating tactic. They've been able to to uh, continuously reform and change the format of the Champions League, uh, the the breadth of the Champions League, the power and the the glamour of the Champions League to make it into the product that it is today. Obviously, you know, that, 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 that wasn't enough. And the reason why that's not enough is that one of the things with the Billionaires Club, which is a, a key moment, is the introduction of American billionaire class investing in European soccer. Because these guys who have, a lot of them like the Glazers at Manchester United, who also own the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, you've got, you know, J.W. Henry, who, of course, he owns the, 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 the Boston Red Sox in, in baseball. But, you know, Stan Kroenke, uh, the LA Rams, formerly St. Louis Rams. There's a whole section in the Billionaires Club about how he moved the franchise from St. Louis to, to LA. These guys have built their fortunes on um, investing and getting the maximum returns from franchises within closed leagues, within you know a league structure yeah. where those franchises own a percentage of the league and you know their investment is completely protected. And so... When you have people investing and seeing that, that, that European soccer, in their eyes, is horrendously undervalued, that there is a much greater scope for creating an NFL-type cartel within the European elite that would be far more profitable than the NFL ever could be with a, with a true global interest and a, a true global market, something the NFL doesn't have, then this was the direction of travel that, that they, were, they were always going to go. And, um, but it was just that moment that they were going to choose to activate that and we've had it's been trailed in a few places i mean i don't know if anybody remembers but last year and year before there was the talk of this kind of global super league that replaced the club world cup that fifa was pushing that may well have been funded by or or kind of guaranteed funding by the uae and and saudi arabia so you know but we never thought that they would jump because it had been so uh such a good negotiating tactic so 
you know, they've clearly made the decision that there will be no better time than now. I think it's Naomi Klein who wrote about kind of disaster capitalism, you know, the shock doctrine. And this is it, isn't it? You take a crisis where everybody else is struggling and you, you, you make hay from it. And that's exactly what they've done. I was going to say about what, what is it about the current context and maybe it is the, you know, the economic crisis as a result of uh, coronavirus that has opened the door to this sort of jump a, a little bit more. Because yesterday, as you mentioned, we saw, uh, well, widespread condemnation, but also in particular from uh, other governing bodies, UEFA, the Premier League, uh, FIFA as well, although slightly slightly less aggressive, we might say. Well, that, that I statement. think that is the key. This is the key factor here is that we've already seen comments that uh, legal action, preemptive legal action is being launched by the Super League. I haven't seen the details of this, but this is what a lot of the reporting around it has said, to make sure that they will not be punished, that they will not be kicked out of domestic leagues. They will not have points deductions um, uh, for uh, you know undergoing this, uh, this course of action. And to do that, they would need FIFA to be on board. And as we know, Gianni Infantino is a man who has already looked into and has promoted this Club World Cup uh, Global Super League. But yeah. the idea of taking power and glamour and prestige and money away from the Champions League towards that is something that has already been talked about. And without that threat of sanction, without the threat that players won't be able to go to World Cups and European Championships and would be legitimately um, and legally punished in their domestic leagues, then this will happen. You know, it, there will be very little pushback for it and you will have a situation where you have those teams so much richer than everybody else that you'd essentially have B teams of Tottenham Hotspur, of Arsenal, of Manchester City. I mean, you can say in many cases they already do have in, in cup competitions, but this will be in the league. And then an A team that plays in this kind of glamorous competition. And if that, if that does happen, then, you know, it's, it's, you can, you, the rest of football withers and dies. There is no trickle down from that. There is no, there's no, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an appalling situation. And, um, you know, so seeing kind of FIFA's mealy mouthed uh, kind of comments this morning, kind of official statement, I think shows, shows me that, that the people who are pushing this know that there will be, there will be very little pushback because they are not going to have jumped uh, unless they've had certain behind scenes guarantees. Uh, let's come back and talk about the FIFA Club World Cup afterwards because I think it's a really interesting part of this story. But before we get there, uh, in terms of the response from organisations such as the Premier League, for example, who claim that there will be, you know, there will be punishments as a result of this, what threat can they possibly offer? You know, other than you know that we can we understand what sorts of punishments could theoretically be doled out here, perhaps points deductions, perhaps massive fines, for example, but. Uh, presumably, this uh, the, the cabal have moved forward because they're confident that they will not suffer those mm. sorts of punitive measures. What is it about the situation that makes them so confident the Premier League can't do anything? Well, I, th I think we have to look back a little bit to um, the recent Football League story about Manchester City and Der Spiegel and the court case that, or the kind of um, court of arbitration for sport case that came out of that. Now, this is a you know, a well-reported case based on the Rui Pinto football leaks, kind of leaked, hacked, um, kind of emails. And, you know, it was put together very well by Der Spiegel, which it seemed to show that Manchester City had been involved in overcoming certain uh, restrictions of financial fair play. Now, when that came to be judged by UEFA, they decided there should be a two-year Champions League ban. When it went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the whole thing was thrown out, partly because... 
the the the, the level of, of legal representation that Manchester City could afford just dwarfed what UEFA could have. And so, I mean, it's often said that you get the kind of justice that uh, that you can afford, and that seemed to be the case here. And then a lot of the kind of emails that had been leaked alluded to the fact that the people in the highest uh, echelons of Manchester City uh, wanted to destroy UEFA through legal uh, through legal cases because it has the it literally has a, the state's resources behind it, so it has much deeper pockets than than UEFA. Now, I can't for a minute doubt that the rest of the cabal that have, have announced this didn't look at that and say, we are ungovernable. We are the richest people in the world. We have the backing of a state. We have within, you know, Inter Milan, I know that the Sunning group are trying to exit football, but they have kind of a state-backed, essentially, ownership project of Inter Milan. These are the most powerful people in the world. There is no regulator in the world that will be able to stop you if it came to court, because they're not going to be able to afford the kind of lawyers and representation that anyone else can. So I'm sure they would have looked at that case and thought, do you know what? There is nothing that could stop us if we decide to take this to court. And hence why we're seeing these preemptive legal battles that will, um, you know, or preemptive legal cases that will try to head this off. And so either they've been given assurances behind closed doors that they will not be kicked out of the league, by FIFA or that, or that there's no legality behind it or that the players won't be punished by not going to the World Cup or the European Championships, for, for, for example, or that they're so confident in their legal teams that they feel that they could demolish any legal case that UEFA has. You know, and God knows when that would even go to court. When would that even be heard? And what happens in the meantime before, uh, before a verdict is reached? So, um, you know, this is unfortunately, ever since football really... I mean, you can point to Berlusconi's purchase of AC Milan in the 1980s, but really, you know, 2003 and the purchase of Chelsea by Roman Abramovich, you know, you're inviting in not the billionaire, millionaire class, but the billionaire class. And in, in the case of Manchester City, you know, the trillionaire class, that once you invite people that are this rich and wealthy, you're not in charge of them. They're in charge of you. And ultimately, they're, they're ungovernable and... and you know, these are people, look at AC Milan, uh, you know, Paul Singer, who owns Elliot Management. We did a great video for Tifo about the fact that he's, uh, you know, runs Elliot Management, which is effectively a vulture fund. And this is a fund that buys distressed sovereign debt. Uh, so countries' debts that can't pay off their debts, buy the debts. And then rather than negotiating a, a haircut on that debt, which a lot of countries do, because that's morally what you have to do, because if they're not, if they're, if you insist that they're paying down that debt, they're not paying you know, salaries of doctors and nurses. But no, not for Paul Singer. You actually extract the absolute maximum value of that debt. And it's it's one of the most immoral businesses in the financial sector. And yet here we are, he's in charge of AC Milan. And this is the kind of guy who's, you know, governments can't stop him. The Argentine government, I mean, he, there, was, there's, there was an example of how they'd won a court case in Ghana for uh, to seize an Argentine Navy ship as collateral for the debt that he that he was he he was owed for this outstanding sovereign debt. So when somebody like that walks into the room negotiating with with UEFA's lawyers or his lawyers, like they haven't got a yeah. leg to stand on. These facing these guys down are the whole ruthless. country. Yeah, they're, they're ruthless. And if countries can't control them, how do you think UEFA is going to control them? 
I was going to ask you, maybe I'll jump ahead to ask you, who's your favourite member of the, of the Super Club? Which which one of the with the comic book heroes is your favourite, James? Um, I mean, I, there's, there's, it's quite funny because there is, um, uh, I've got on my wall, hanging on my wall, one of the guys at TIFO who designed the video, he uh, he 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 made me a he made me a, a kind of a collage of all the faces of all the kind of billionaires wrote about, and I think he called it a brimful of bastards. I think it's called <laughs> brimful of bastards. JPEG arrived, you know. Which is yeah. So I've got that proudly kind of framed on my wall. I mean, it's difficult because they're all such unlikable characters. Um, I suppose. I mean, favorite. You know, like you'd have a favourite Teletubby or something. Just, just instead of the Teletubbies, like quite a lot of wrinkly old rich men. I suppose that for for pure shamelessness, hmm. I mean, I've got to say Stan Kroenke. I mean, fa- I use yeah. the word favourite, uh, not as like, oh, this guy I like. He's the cuddly one out of the group. Yeah. You know, he's the Ringo star of the band. No, no, this is like just because like sometimes you've got to admire someone's complete ruthlessness and evilness and and the way that i mean one of the chapters i wrote for the billionaires club actually went to st louis um and spent a super bowl sunday kind of walking around talking to the fans and this was this is the last season that the um st louis rams was going to be in the city and the idea was i wanted to see you know what it was like for fans of of a franchise right it'd been there for 20 years i mean itself had been taken from la by Cronky in the first place but like what happens when it leaves town and there was so much anger towards him. And for me, that was the harboring of what will happen to Arsenal, that this is the guy who will bring the NFL type rationalization to the business. And he will eventually move your club away to somewhere more profitable. Like there, one day, if Cronky's still at Arsenal, he will move Arsenal from Highbury, from, from Highbury and Islington, from the area. Like that, that's as night follows day. And, you know, walking around and just like, this guy just does. And I remember I met up with um, there was a lawyer uh, called Terry Crouppen, who he had bought out a load of adverts on uh, on for Super Bowl. Right. So f- for locally, for Missouri, I think not for the whole because I mean, I think it would cost him 10 million quid or something. And, he, you know, he was wealthy, but he's not that wealthy. And, um, you know, and it was because everybody was so anti Cronky and so anti NFL. It was probably the one city in America that hated NFL because of everything that Cronky had done. And he did this like one minute slam advert during half time where he's like, yeah. And I met him in a bar uh, just before the Super Bowl started. And he was just like, he came up with, he's like, how much money do these people need? How much money these people, he's got a dial somewhere that says 10 billion and he moves it to 11. And he goes like, it's like people who want, you know, who some people can drink a bottle of wine, some people can, a glass of wine, some people drink five bottles of wine. But these people, they're sick. It's a sickness. And I just, he just sat there raging at me. And it's like, this guy was like a, 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 a kind of axe, like it was Better Call Saul style accident lawyer, right? <laughs> but like this guy was a capitalist, red in tooth and claw, right? And here we have, he's basically calling for revolution against the super rich. And if he can turn Saul against against you know the, the, against the workings of capitalism then my god you you are a special character and this yeah this is a man who could have he i don't think there's a single person maybe maybe within his immediate family but i'm not sure who has a good word to say about stan Kroenke. and and i suppose that is a special level of he, he goes into a special class of owner i think because of that um tottenham have just sacked Mourinho. <laughs> oh! <laughs> 
it's wow. like the perfect the perfect time isn't it it's the perfect time it's I mean, hidden, is, 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 hidden. Is, is levy dropping the dead cat is that what you've done here know. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were joking before because we heard the rumor, James. But we were joking before that, like the entrance fee, like the, what they win for from J.P. Morgan for for even signing up to this, is more than enough to uh, to sack Mourinho. It solves their main problem overnight, right? Well, it uh, does. I mean, okay. okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> right. One, a couple more questions on this before I let you go. Uh, the first is just a return to the Club World Cup thing. Uh, I suppose I, we kind of hinting at this before, but perhaps one of the reasons that FIFA aren't aren't as dismissive of it. I mean, you know, we should categorically say they they have said they are disapproving, but it felt a little bit lighter. Uh, maybe that's as you say because this doesn't necessarily impact the, the Club World Cup. If if the Champions League is hugely impacted, then theoretically, if the Club World Cup goes ahead anyway, and it, and is is kind of you know entrance based on merit or whatever, that could kind of become the new Champions League, couldn't it? Or the one that people think is fairer. I think so. I mean, when when I wrote the Billionaires Club, I mean, actually, I thought the, 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 the European Super League has always been a threat. But for me, the future really lies in the global Super League, where you have, I mean, if you look at the way that City Football Group, you know, has been buying, um, you know, clubs all around the world. So it has now, I think, 10, 11 club properties, clubs, that it owns, um, that, you know, we're heading towards a place where there's going to be, you know, a global football league, you know, or matches being take, taking place in, in different jurisdictions around the world. And so um, something like this feeds in much better uh, than, say, the UEFA Champions League, which gives short shrift to the yeah. Club World Cup, right? But well, no, it's already... called uh, the Super League and not the Euro- European Super League, right? Exactly. And then you go to somewhere like, uh, I mean, if you see recently, I'm sure uh, you've seen what's happened with the election of the new president of CAF, uh, the Confederation of African Football, and Infantino's machinations there have, you know, they're centred on the idea of setting up a kind of African Super League uh, that kind of, again, uh, kind of supersedes the, Confed- uh, the, the kind of African Champions League. So I feel that this is, although this is a story about the big clubs, um, about uh, European versus domestic haves and haves nots, I also feel this is probably a story about UEFA versus FIFA, which is a, a tension that has existed for decades and about who really holds the reins over the money and the power within football. Because at the moment, obviously UEFA have the most glamorous and richest club competition and FIFA has the most glamorous uh, and it's a sole, really it's sole kind of uh, money spinner is the World Cup. You can see how, you know, that power battle is now essentially being played in some game of kind of 5D chess 
over over this over this Super League. And I think it is telling that it's a Super League and not a European Super League because you know they this they could just add more and more clubs. I mean. <laughs> Actually, it's not called Guangzhou Evergrande anymore, is it? The in China they've changed, they've banned all names of clubs that are based on corporation names. Interesting, right? I think it's oh. just Guangzhou FC. But you know, Chinese clubs, American clubs. You know, that's where they all see that this is there's a, there's a real growth there outside of Europe as well as within Europe. So I feel, I mean, this is just the start of this, and we'll see whether. I mean, the the only chance I think that football authorities, if indeed they are against this, to stop this is not looking at football regulators who don't have any power really in this situation, funnily enough, but I think governments themselves. And, you know, it will be whether, for instance, I mean, you know, Boris Johnson tweeted late last night that, you know, he was against it. Look at what, look at on a political level uh, in Great Britain, right? That you essentially have a Premier League, which is like an incredible success for Britain and especially for England in terms of an export around the world, soft power in terms of, you know, exporting kind of image of Britain that people are kind of talking about football rather than all the terrible things we do in the world, much like how the UAE and Qatar have approached it. There's no way, there's no way you can look at um, England and the Premier League without looking at it in the same way. And then here we have this breakaway and this uh, Super League, which threatens to destroy this wonderful institution that has been built within England, as far as they can see. So I can't yeah. imagine that there's going to be much um, love within the corridors of power uh, in, in the UK for this. And I think that that's, that might be ultimately what scuppers it. I like power. <laughs> I like it as well. I understand. Power I scares just, me. Uh... <laughs> it's like holding a gun. Holding a gun scares me. I don't feel like I'm in control of a gun. It's like guns I don't are in like control of you. And gun. I think that's the same with power. Anyway, one more question for you, James, before I let you go. I don't like guns. Uh, the one thing that's confused me a little bit, and maybe it's just because they've been caught on the hop or they weren't sure about the response, is that um, uh, PSG particularly, but also Bayern and uh, Borussia Dortmund have not joined up to this. Now, presumably, you know, all of the all of the um, releases at the moment from the Super League camp are saying that they're expecting three more members to join. We assume it would be those teams to complete the sort of fifteen permanent founders of this uh, of this league or this association. What I I'm kind of surprised to see PSG particularly a bit Bayern too, on on the list of people that haven't joined yet. Have you got any take on that? Yeah, well, I think the German one is very interesting because, you know, they, I mean they're hamstrung in a way because they have the fifty plus one system. I mean, Borussia, uh, a lot of German journalists have been reporting that Dortmund and Bayern were offered a place and they turned it down. I mean, Dortmund would not be able to get that past their fan base. They would vote it down without a shadow of a doubt, and the and chief executive would lose his place. You know, he, essentially, he'd be signing his own resignation letter if he did that. So there's no way that that would get passed. Bayern Munich is slightly different situation, but they still, you know, they still essentially have a membership model. Um, it, you know, it would be touch and go whether that would happen. And with France and PSG, I think that is very interesting, and I I suspect it's that they've invested so much in building a relationship with UEFA that they don't want to necessarily throw that into the bin straight away. They're hedging their bets. I mean, if it looks like this is happening, they, they will jump on board, no doubt about it. I also suspect that possibly they might see that the driving force, the driving money behind this, or the driving guarantor for the massive $4 billion that's going to be uh, lent uh, to, to make this happen, 
yeah. may well be coming from the same sources that the Club World Cup money, which is coming from, which was, if we are to believe the reporting around it, potentially from uh, UAE and Saudi um, from a Japanese funds. bank, from ja- SoftBank, but oh, again, ultimately guaranteed by um, you know by by Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds. And yeah. we have to remember that football has been kind of dominated in recent years <laughs> by this Gulf crisis that's been taking place. You know, nothing to do with football, but football has become, yeah. a, and these football teams have become, you know, almost kind of pawns in this game. Same can be said of Newcastle United's aborted takeover by PIF, which is effectively, uh, you know, the, the kind of state investment arm of the Saudi state. Um, so I, I think it is, it is significant. But, you know, the next few days will determine whether they've put this balloon up. If it floats, you know, they, they, they'll jump on board and, and try and deal with those questions later on. But um, it might prove, given the kind of extreme reaction to this, um, it might prove quite a canny decision to hold off for now. Yeah. OK. James Montague, thanks so much for coming. I mean, I literally asked you a minute before we started recording and you came. Uh, so thanks so much for that. Don't and also, say that. Everybody that makes me sound like that makes me sound <laughs> like I'm just sitting here waiting for you to call. Come on, no, you're just no, you're just a great guy, and you love Tifo. That's all. I it do. Is. But just just make me sound you're a never bit like free. Oh, you just just say, oh, we tried to get through to. You. We had so many calls, you couldn't. Uh, <laughs> sitting here in my pants, saying he's going to call, he's going to call, he's going to call. Your, your call. two secretaries <laughs> told me that actually they cleared cleared your calendar for you. Uh, no, no, normally we've got to do things weeks in advance. Uh, but listeners, listen. The Billionaires Club, the unstoppable rise of football super rich owners, hot diggity dark. It is genuinely, James, one of the one of the most fun books I've ever read. Not fun in that it has a nice message in it, but fun because it's uh, it's it's you know it's it's a fanta- it's fantastically written and it's kind of exciting. And also, you can get the paperback on Amazon Prime. It's, <laughs> well, it's only six pound ninety nine. Look at that. It is. It is. And there you go. The billionaires. You can't escape them. The irony of the Billionaires Club being kind of enriching the world's richest billionaire in Jeff yeah. Bezos. But. Yeah, and hoping to make a new one in James Montague. So please do go and buy his book. Uh, it is actually really, really good. And also, if you're listening to this, you've probably at some point seen one of the Meet the Owners videos that Tifo's made on, on our YouTube channel over the last few years. Those have all been written with James as well. Uh, so you can go back and check those out too to have a little bit of a taster of some of the fun characters in this new Marvel comic book. Uh, James, thanks so much for coming, man. Really, really appreciate it. Anytime. No, not anytime. Not anytime. I mean, no, you're, all, you're normally busy. I'm not busy. <laughs> it's normally busy. <laughs> no, any, uh, anytime. Call, call me day or night. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Oh, there was James. What a great guy, and always available whenever you need him. Um, <laughs> it's a really handy thing, that. Anyway, um, we, let's talk about Mourinho very quickly now. Again, we're recording this on the Monday morning, so it's very possible that, that new new reports will be out by the time you're listening. But, uh, Seb, it was, uh, it was uh, an, inevitable, an inevitable decline, wasn't it? Yeah, it has been for a while, Joe, and I was watching the Everton game on Friday night and it did seem as if something was imminent. Um, I think, by the way, that Jose Mourinho was pretty disengaged from the game. He didn't even attempt his sort of normal subterfuge in the press conference afterwards and the uh, conversation with the media. Uh, there was no there was no rallying, I think, what you'd have expected normally from Jose Mourinho uh, in that situation was a kind of a lot of subterfuge and obfuscation and... You know, he didn't even blame the referee for what was quite a contentious penalty given against his Spurs. So, and, uh, you know, the there's always a lot of conjecture around Mourinho. There's always a lot of noise. But I think it had become fairly clear that whilst not all the players had uh, tuned out, tuned him out even, uh, there was no... There was no... I mean, there was no obvious sign of, uh, of cohesion between those players, him, and whatever the objective was. I mean, there was just a... You know, a lot of different players and people at the club at cross purposes and, you know, heading in different directions. Added to which, of course, um, the Athletic broke that story a few weeks ago about Harry Kane potentially wanting to leave in the summer. And it's very difficult to kind of to s- separate that from the club's performance over the last year. It's been very, very difficult and it's been a long time coming. It's... Um, I mean, Twitter and football fans and football fans on Twitter, they don't tell an entire story. They never do, but I think it's been it'd be very difficult for the club to ignore just how much discord there is and just how much I suppose not even anger, but um disenfranchisement there's been with Jose Mourinho and how numb a lot of people have been left feeling by his management of the club. I think you can deal with anger because you can, you know, you can withstand it and let it pass. When people start saying things like, I don't care, I don't want to watch the game, I'm not yeah. that bothered if we're in a cup final, I think you have to kind of act once that happens. Yeah, also, I was going to say, um, I think it was James Moore, editor at The Athletic, who um, who tweeted something the other day saying, like, I'm not sure they realise how badly Mourinho is going to get booed when the 2,000 fans are let in, you know, in the coming weeks. And we saw, um, unfortunately, something we're not able, we haven't had time to talk about today, is, is the, the first trial game over the weekend, uh, the second FA Cup tie, which had fans at it, which was a very odd thing to watch. Um but yeah, I, th- I feel like uh, I-, I can see what you're right. What you're saying when anger turns into uh, sort of a malaise. But Alex, do you think that uh, given that Mar- Tottenham will now miraculously have the money to afford this, no problem, and also Mourinho could turn it to his own favour, this is kind of the perfect scenario for everybody, isn't it? On a day where it will definitely play second fiddle. Yeah, that's it's that's absolutely right. It's the um, 
again, James Moore actually uh, tweeted, it's uh, a bad day to bury good news, which I thought was um, very funny. I, I, I guess everyone, well, Mourinho comes out of it well, he'll be able to spin, um, you know, this, I stood up to it, I wasn't happy, they can pay him off. It all seems fine. I think the the big question now is who steps in to the dugout for Spurs. Obviously, I think Ryan Mason is is going to be taking it for the uh, cup final on Sunday. But if the Super League goes ahead as planned, then Spurs are going to need a box office manager to be part of that club. And no, all is of that the not the pot of, man? Well, I, this is the point, isn't it? Like, can you, the, can you the, see Graham Potter in the in the Super League? I don't know. The sensible anymore. appointment is someone like Graham Potter, um, potentially someone like Scott Parker, if you can price him from Fulham. Uh, these are not going to be sufficiently box office for uh, Daniel Levy for the ESL. It, like, it's. I think these are the sorts of ramifications for clubs, particularly the clubs that are slightly lower down the pecking order of the ESL clubs is that the, the, the sensible transitional managerial appointments aren't going to happen. So no. um, it's, I think they're making a rod for their own back in more ways than one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what, what I'd say there is that I think to me, it feels like the timing is obviously very significant because if you've released the sort of news that, that Tottenham did last night in conjunction with the other clubs involved here, the only bargaining chip you have to play, the only card you have to play to kind of um, to sue the what is now a raging fan base probably was the sacking of Jose Mourinho. And if you're making a structural change in the game, which is what this is, you know, a change in the way football is, um, is, is, is built, basically, um, you need your fan base on side. There are going to be some people who just refuse to go along with this. There are going to be people who say, this is not for me. I'm just going to sit this out and uh, I'll become less and less interested in football. That will be the attitude for some. For others, they'll be looking for an excuse to buy in. And, you know, a lot of people will rage today and say, yeah, I'm going to burn my season ticket. When it comes down to it, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very, very tough position to put a supporter in, to like say, right, well, you... You know, on a on a um, point of principle, you now have to abandon your football club. Um, but I think that sort of by getting rid of Mourinho and first of all bringing Ryan Mason, but then you know potentially moving towards someone a little bit more conciliatory, not necessarily box office, but someone who people believe in and who people, you know what, people like. I think one of the big problems with Jose Mourinho, they just didn't like him as a person. They didn't like the way yeah. he behaved. They didn't like the way that nothing was ever his fault. They didn't like. I, and I, I don't have an opinion on any of those things. It's just who's like how it was. I don't know, but it's it's more it's more that Jose Mourinho is. If you think of the spectrum of likability in modern football, um, <laughs> obviously far left hand side, far right hand side, you've got your Agnellis, your yeah. super villains, your sure. you know your guys that are gonna you know who you know, James Bond takes on in his films. That that kind of character, Paul Elliott. If Paul Elliott, right? <laughs> yeah. Those kind of people. But then Jose Mourinho isn't. I, I don't know. Jose Mourinho is a very tough man to... Um, it's very difficult to be proud of his management of your football club, irrespective of what happens on the pitch. Whether he's winning, whether he's losing, Mourinho is so antagonistic, and that's his style, okay, but he's so antagonistic that people respond to that in a negative way, and I can completely understand why that happens. So, step one, the only thing available to Spurs this morning, Monday we're recording, is what they've done. Um, we don't know the ins and outs of why it's been done or how it's been done or anything like that, but... 
it's a conciliatory move. Okay. Well, there we go. What an evening. What a morning. Big news. Quite tired. It's amazing. It might be the most dramatic day in football history. Like certainly in the modern era. Like can I, can I, can I say though, I was um, last night. I was reading about the formation of the Premier League, and I came upon this funny little sentence in uh, I can't remember. I think it's a Guardian article about it. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was really really good. And towards the end, it said um, the original name for the Premier League. Do you know what the original name for the Premier League was, Seb? <laughs> it was the Super Tommy. League. And they yeah. changed it because it was too controversial. And so they changed. They knew this in 1992. They knew this. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that kind of says says probably not as much as I'm suggesting that it does. But it's quite funny, isn't it? You, you know what's interesting? I, I read, um, I'm going to plug another book here, but I, I read a book called The Club um, by uh, one of two authors, one of which was Josh Robinson from the, I think, the Wall Street Journal. Um, and it tells a story of the Premier League inception, but then also its growth. And looking back now, I reread it not so long ago. And looking back now at kind of some of the figures that were supposedly groundbreaking, you know, it's all sort of you know, plotting um, chief executives talking about ten million pounds. You know, as if that was kind of a, just a, 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 a inconceivable Eye-watering. amount of money. Exactly, exactly. And to see where we've come in thirty years is just amazing. It's very interesting. Very good book. But um, all right. Well, I tell you what. Like before, we, before we go, yeah. very briefly, I'm going to list all the all the things that we would have talked about if this hadn't happened. Because it's a shame, right? Because yeah. Newcastle <laughs> West Ham was the best game of the weekend for Great a start. Well done yeah. to everyone involved. Football's really stupid. Well done to everyone involved. Uh, Man City was shit and made eight changes, and I think that was offensive. Yeah, you would have had a cool hot take about that. Didn't get that. Um, what else? Man United were good. Yeah. Uh, also Burnley were pretty good that was an interesting game we had a lot to talk about there Southampton Leicester to be fair on this one I said is there anything to say and that's the only note apart from the crowd stuff uh, Arsenal Fulham we had a whole thing about them you know they're ninth or whatever and they're in the Super League and then uh, Alex also wrote like uh, you know about three pages of notes on uh, Angers versus Rennes too which we probably wouldn't have made it to but at least you know it was there so if there's no other reason for you to hate these monsters that have made this thing, yeah, other than the extreme capitalist agenda and the uh, the sort of horrifying lack of concern for any sporting integrity and all of the other all of the other things out there, yeah, then hate them because uh, we didn't get to do our bits on stuff. And guess what? There's no quotes and facts database. No, there's none none of that this week. Yeah, because so you, again, you just another that reason. diligently. I mean, yes, I know, did prepare. That you were ready to go, yes. like as of nine was, last night, and you I was hundred percent ready to go. Creating, I didn't yeah, at all yeah. use this as an excuse not to. <laughs> no, here's what actually happened. Here's what actually happened last night. I got, I came down back downstairs after uh, a bit of. Uh, I watched The Sopranos with uh, with my partner. Came back downstairs, and then uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to quote some facts database now. Got to do it. Got to do it. Uh, turn on the computer. Didn't turn it on. It's always on. It's the modern world. And Twitter was all all aplomb with um with the 11 p.m. news of the league. I thought, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll do a I'll do a facts and quotes database about um, Joel Glazer and Andre Agnelli, and then I spent an hour reading about them and realised that none neither of them have ever done anything funny in their entire lives. So you know, except for this, this is quite funny, isn't it? 
do you know what? I've got to go because I've got to go outside the house to a different Oof. building. Isn't that Just, weird? That is That's what I'm going to do now, though. Yeah, okay. Um, but listen, let's all hold hands and just think, you know, wouldn't it be great if this didn't happen? Yeah, would it? I don't really know, but I'm assuming it would. So that's the thing. That's the thing we've all, that's the message I want you to all take away uh, from this podcast. It's the TIFO Football Podcast, of course. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor, thanks to you. Oh, thank you, Joe. And thanking you, Alex Stewart. Uh, thank you, Joe. We'll be back later in the week uh, where I promise we'll talk about actual football because, you know, fuck all this, right? Uh, even even if it's gone all bigger again, should we just make a commitment to spend at least half of that podcast talking about football? I'd be interested to know like how it could get bigger from this point. Well, <laughs> what, what else I thought that about to... one of my old crotch boils, but it still got bigger. So, you know, you've got to take these things seriously, haven't you? And do do visit the, the doctor if you need medical attention. Right. Uh, back on Friday with something else. Uh, thanks also to producer Adonis and, of course, to uh, Mr. James Montague for coming to today's podcast. Uh, and uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Yes, and danke schön. Uh, au revoir, TIFOs. Athletic.